Well, I think we would uh, all agree that this last year has been rather challenging, right? A lot of things have changed and we have to do things differently. And, and the church hasn't really been immune to that either, you know? I, I'm familiar with a lot of the other churches around, and I see that over the last year that, that most churches have had to change the way that they, quote, do church. And um, in some cases, there have been some rather radical changes. I know some churches here in town that, that had their giving decrease so much that they had to either lay off staff or they had to go apply for government loans just to, to keep their staff working and to kind of keep things operating. And uh, it's not that we've been immune to that here at Thornydale, but, but certainly we face those challenges too. But I just want to take a moment to commend all of you who have been so faithful to us over the last year. You've been faithful with your attendance, whether you've been here in person with us when we were able to do that again, or whether you've been joining us online, you've been faithful to give. And really, our giving has pretty much kept up with our budget. It fluctuates a little bit from week to week, but you guys have done such a great job, and so I'm really thankful for that. But as we come to this point in the in the pandemic, I think it's really likely that for a lot of us, fatigue kind of sets in, right? I mean, how many of you guys are tired of wearing masks and, and uh, washing your hands all the time and putting hand sanitizer and, and separating from people? And, and I'm, not, I'm not the biggest hugger in the world, but I still miss hugging people and shaking their hands. And so it's real easy for kind of fatigue to set in when we've been doing these things for so long. And, and the same thing can kind of be true within the church. And it worries me sometimes that, that this fatigue as, as a church could actually hinder us from carrying out the purposes that God has for us as a body. And so that's why I'm really excited about this new sermon series that we're going to begin this morning. It's a sermon series from a, a letter that Paul wrote to the church in a little town called Thessalonica. We know it in our Bibles as the book of 1 Thessalonians. And it was written to a church that was also experiencing some fatigue, to be real honest. It was a, a church that um, hadn't been around long, but they were facing persecution. And, and probably for the most part, their fatigue came from the fact that they were waiting for Jesus to return. And they thought that was going to happen really quickly. And when Jesus doesn't return after a few months and then after a few years, some fatigue starts to, sit, to set in. And so Paul writes this letter to him. So we're going to entitle this sermon series, Living in Light of Eternity. Because we're going to discover through this book that that really is the key to being able to persevere in the light of the, whatever kind of fatigue might be around us. The, uh, the book of 1 Thessalonians is, is a great book. And uh, before we read it this morning, I want to give you a little bit of background about the book and, and why Paul wrote this letter, because I think it will help us to begin to, to understand why this is so important, why it's so relevant to us as a body. Paul, uh, along with Timothy and Silas, they went to this little town called Thessalonica and and Paul did as he usually did. He began by going to the synagogue there. And you can read all about this if you go to Acts chapter 17 and 18. And there's all the background here. And, and Paul goes there and he goes, says to the synagogue for three, sun, three, not three Sundays, three Sabbaths. 
And uh, he preaches there, and a few Jews become disciples of Jesus Christ. But as is often the case, Paul has a lot more success with the Gentiles there. And so when the church forms there in this little town, it consists mostly of Gentiles with a few Jewish believers. Well, some of the Jews get really jealous of the success that Paul is having there in, in converting people to become disciples of Jesus Christ. So they, they raise up this insurrection and they basically run Paul and, uh, and Silas and Timothy all out of town there. And so Paul leaves there and he goes to another place called Berea and the same thing kind of happens there. He goes and he preaches in the synagogue. Some people come to put their faith in Jesus Christ. But after a while, some more Jews get jealous. And guess what? They run him out of town again. So he goes on to Athens. And he spends a little bit of time in Athens there. And again, he's preaching the gospel. And people are becoming disciples of Jesus Christ because he's preaching the gospel with power. And the Holy Spirit is at work. But again, after a while, he's driven out of there. And he finally comes to the town of Corinth. And uh, when he's in Corinth, he's rejoined again by Paul and by Silas. And it's there that he writes this letter that we have as 1 Thessalonians in our Bible. Probably written around 50 to 51 A.D. This very well might be the earliest written of all the New Testament scriptures. Most of the, the Gospels were written much later than this, probably 20 to even 50 years later than what, what he writes here. So this is probably one of the, the earliest pieces of Scripture that we have. And it's really relevant for us today, too. If you consider the circumstances in which Paul is writing, it was a world that was in chaos and turmoil. Within 20 years of writing the letter, the, the Roman Empire was going to be completely at war. And under the emperor Titus, they were going to come into, the Roman army would come into Jerusalem and would capture and kill a lot of the Jews and the Christians there. They would tear down the temple. And the things that would lead to that are already going on, some of the conflict and stuff. And so it's not altogether different from the world in which we live today. The book itself, I think, is really well summarized at the end of chapter 5. These two verses are going to be the verses that we're going to kind of use as our, as our benediction as we go uh, throughout the series. And here's what Paul writes at the end of the letter. He says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. So what he's telling him, he says, you need to be prepared for the coming of Jesus Christ. Because God is faithful, Jesus will come back, just as God said. And here's how you need to be prepared for that. And so he's going to begin in this first chapter kind of commending uh, the, the believers there in Thessalonica. But a lot of the letter is going to have to do with, here are some practical instructions for you to live as you await the return of Jesus Christ. And we're going to find that they are so relevant to us. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 1 Thessalonians. We're going to look at chapter 1 this morning. You'll find that in the New Testament. Um, it's not a real big book, so it would be easy to kind of flip by. You get to Colossians, then come to 1 Thessalonians. If you get to like Timothy and Titus and some of those, you've gone a little too far. So Paul... Silvanus and Timothy. So right away, Paul begins by 
identifying the authors. Sylvanus is just the Latin name for Silas. So as we talked about earlier, Paul and Silas and Timothy, they're there in Corinth and they're writing this letter to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then Paul gives his familiar greeting, grace to you and peace. You see some form of that in almost every letter of Paul. It was his way of kind of just um, setting the stage for what he's about to write. And now in the rest of the chapter, there's going to be a commendation to this church because this church is it's making a tremendous impact in the whole area of Macedonia. They are, they're helping to expand the kingdom of God. And I think there's some things that we can learn about there so that we can be that kind of church. So here's what he writes. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, And how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Great, great, great passage here. In this church, it was a a church that was making a difference. And here's why I think it was doing it. Here's the main idea that I want us to pull from this passage today, that churches that make an impact for the gospel when their testimony of their lips is backed up by the testimony of their lives. The testimony of lips is backed up by the testimony of lives. And we see that here with this church in Thessalonica. That's That's an amazing thing that we see here, the way that they did that. And what I want you to note as we look at this this morning is that Paul is writing this to the entire church. He's not just writing it to to the leaders of the church. He's not just writing it to the elders. He's writing it to the entire church. You see all these plural pronouns here. You, which means y'all. So he's writing to the entire church. And we're reminded here that that for a church to be able to to make an impact for Jesus, it has to be made up of people whose lives are are a testimony to the gospel through both their lips and their lives. We're reminded of this particularly, I think, in Ephesians. um, Probably the best uh, place that we see this whole idea of how we're all to be ministers. In Ephesians chapter 4, it says this, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds and teachers, and here's why, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. For the building up of the body of Christ. That word saints there doesn't just mean some special Christian. It means that if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you're a saint. And if you're a saint, then you've been called to the work of ministry. 
And so what I want us to do this morning as we, as we look at this passage is look at it from a couple different perspectives that I hope will help all of us to understand what it means to be disciples of Jesus who testify to the gospel with our lips and with our lives so that we can make an impact just like the church did there in Thessalonica. So the first thing I want to do this morning is to share with you what I would call the three tenses of being a disciple of Jesus. We see this really clearly, especially in verses 9 and 10 here, but really throughout the entire passage. And you might not be surprised, we've seen this over and over again, that there's a past, there's a present, and there's a future tense of being a disciple. So let's look first at the past tense of being a disciple. The past tense is that they turned to God. They turned to God. They did that in the past. That's what he writes there. He says, you turn to God from idols. This is what we might call the idea of repentance. It's the idea of turning away from whatever idols that we might have in our lives and then turning to God and becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ. And that process really has two aspects to it. There's a divine aspect to it, and there's a human aspect to it. The divine aspect to it is that he says in verse 4 that God has chosen us. We've talked about this before. This is what's called the doctrine of election. It means that apart from anything that we did, that God came to us at some point and chose us to be his disciples. But there's also a human element as well. And that is, in order for us to accept that gift that Jesus offers, we have to put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's something that we have to do. And we've talked a lot about this before, but I think it bears repeating again because this is kind of a hard thing to reconcile sometimes, right? But here's the bottom line. If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you cannot take any credit for it. There's nothing you did to earn or deserve that. Even the faith to believe is a gift that came from God. However, if you're not a disciple of Jesus Christ, you can't blame God because you made the decision not to put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I know sometimes those things are hard to reconcile, but they're both what are taught in the Scriptures. And so he says in the past, if you're a disciple, there had to come a point in your life where you turned away from your idols, whatever those were, and you turned to God. He says, secondly, there's a present tense to your being a disciple, and that is that serving God. He says that they turned, and the reason they did that, to serve the living and true God. See, at some point they had, really what he says here is they've changed gods. They used to serve the God of self, and now they've turned and they're serving the true and living God. And that's a present tense thing. And again, their serving God does not earn them their salvation. It's something that they do out of gratitude for what God has already done for them. And as we've talked about it before, if we're genuine disciples of Jesus Christ, if we genuinely put our faith in Him, then our lives are going to bear witness to that and we're going to be serving other people in the name of Jesus Christ. And then finally, there's this future aspect. And that's this waiting for Jesus. He says that, that, that to wait for His Son from heaven. 
And as I shared with the kids earlier, we tend to think of weight as being some kind of like passive thing. And there were a lot of people in the church in Thessalonica that were doing just that. We're going to see later on in the letter that there were some of them that just quit working, sat around waiting for Jesus to come back. Expected somebody else to feed them and clothe them and take care of them. Of course, we don't have anything like that in the United States today, right? Not even close. So waiting is supposed to be this active thing. The verb there means to to wait expectantly for someone that you expect to come. It's it's knowing confidently that Jesus is going to come back. And then then to be busy about doing the things that He's called us to do while we're waiting for Him to come back. Not just sitting around doing nothing. The word there, wait, it it was even used to... um, in classical Greek, to describe an army who was waiting, and waiting for an enemy to attack them. And I can guarantee you they weren't very passive, right? They were doing things to prepare for that, and we're to be doing things to prepare for the coming of Jesus Christ. So how do we, how do we become part of a church that makes an impact? Because if the church that makes an impact is made up of people who are testifying to Jesus with their lips and with their lives, how do I become part of that? How do I become one of those people that allows a church to make that kind of impact? Three things we'll see this morning. Here's the first one. The first is that I have to receive the gospel. Notice what it says here. He says, our gospel came to you. And then a little later on, he says, you received the word in must much affliction so what he's saying here he says at some point you receive this gospel message and to receive it means more than just to hear it and have it go in one ear and out the other they actually took it into their lives we'll see in a moment they began to live it but it's really interesting to me here that he says that you received it in much affliction these These Christians there, these believers in Thessalonica, they were going through persecution. I mean, think about it. Paul, the one who started the church, got thrown out of the city. And those who became disciples of Jesus because of his preaching, they were going through a lot of persecution. They were going through affliction. And yet it says that they did that with joy in the Holy Spirit. That's an important reminder for us that, that, you know what? Becoming a disciple of Jesus is not going to take away all your problems. It just won't. In some cases, it might bring more problems. It might bring persecution. It might bring affliction. But the thing is, is that we can always approach that with joy in the Holy Spirit. Because as we've talked about before, joy is not dependent on my circumstances. Joy is dependent upon Jesus and what He's done for me. So the first thing they did is they, they received that gospel into their lives. The second thing they did is that they lived the gospel. They became examples to the nations around them. They had, they had a great testimony. He says here, you became imitators of the Lord and of us. And we've talked about this time after time again that that, that we don't do this, we don't serve the Lord, we don't live our lives in order to receive our salvation, but we do it out of gratitude for what Jesus has already done for us. And if we're genuine disciples of Jesus, the only way we're going to make a difference in the world around us is that we have to live the gospel. We can't just talk about it, we have to live it. But we also have to speak it, and that's the third thing we have to do. We have to speak the gospel. 
He says here that the word of the Lord sounded forth from you. Or as some translations put it, it rang out from you. Throughout this passage, Paul, he equates the word and the gospel. Word and gospel. You'll notice how many times those words appear together in there. And the gospel, the good news, it requires us to actually share the words. It's not just enough to live lives and to say, well, that's going to be a good enough testimony at some point. We have to actually share with our words the difference that Jesus has made in our lives. And they were doing that in the entire region around there. So we've seen this morning that churches that make an impact for the gospel, they do that when the testimony of their lips is backed by the testimony of their lives. You've got to have both. It's not a either or, it's a both and kind of thing. Skip Heitzig is a pastor in Albuquerque, and I love what he said about this idea of needing to, to witness with, with both your lips and your lives. Here's what he said. He said, if you just witness with your lips, but not your lives, you're a hypocrite. That's hypocrisy. But if you just witness with your life and not your lips, that's cruelty. That's like being a person who had a disease cured by medicine and you're not going to tell the rest of the patients how to get better. I like that. I, I think he's right on with that. You have to have both. And if you don't, your, your witness just isn't going to be all that effective. So what I want to do as we close our time this morning is I want to, I want to relate this to our own discipleship path here at Thornydale Family Church. Hopefully you've seen this before. Uh, if you're in the room with us this morning, you see it every time when you come in and when you leave, it's right there on the back wall. We do that for a purpose because we want everyone to be aware of that. This is a, uh, something that we've developed to help people to take their next step in their walk with Jesus. And it's amazing to me, as, as I read the passage this week, I couldn't help but think just how much this passage lines up with that discipleship path. Now, you'll notice that the path is a circle. It's not a bunch of steps or a linear thing, and, and we've done that for a purpose. There's really two reasons for that. Number one is that unlike when you go to school and you eventually graduate, you never graduate as a disciple of Jesus Christ. We continue to grow. We need to continue to take these steps over and over and over again. And you might take some for a while, move on to the next one, come back around to another step again. And we're going to do that in our lives because being a disciple of Jesus is a lifelong process. The other reason that it's a circle is because it's intended to show that, that once you become a disciple of Jesus, one of our responsibilities is to go and to share that with other people and help them to get on that same path and help them to grow too. And so what I want to do is, is just briefly take a moment to, to talk about each one of the, the steps on this path and how you might be able to take one of those steps. And what I want to encourage you to do is to think about this as I go through there. And I believe that every single one of us in here needs to take a next step in our walk with Jesus. I don't know what that is. It's going to be different for all of us. But maybe some of the things that I suggest this morning will speak to your heart, that God will speak through that. And so I want to encourage you that when we get done, you would write down at least one step that you're going to take 
so that you can become a more, deci- a more mature disciple and so that you can be the kind of witness that makes an impact for the kingdom of God. Now, the first step there is the step of come. And this is really just the idea of being introduced to Jesus. Now, if you're here this morning, whether you're here in person or online, congratulations, you've already accomplished the first step. And each week as you come, you're going to hear about Jesus. You're going to be introduced to him. That's really what the step is all about. And our job as disciples is to help other people to be introduced to Jesus. And we'll see that when we get to the share step. And that's why it leads right back in to the come step. The next step on the the path is that of commit. And here in this this church in Thessalonica, the people had made some commitments to Jesus Christ. And they're the same commitments that I want to encourage you to make this morning if you've never done that. The first commitment they made was to, was to put their faith in Jesus Christ. That's how they became disciples. And at some point, every single one of them had to do that. Maybe this morning, God is leading you to do that if you've never done that. The second thing that, that we can be pretty confident that happened is that they were baptized it doesn't say that specifically in this passage but that was the pattern in every single church that that paul established in the new testament is that new believers they were baptized by immersion again that didn't save them but what it did is it served as a public testimony of the fact that they had put their faith in jesus christ and so they made that commitment the third step is, is to become a member of a church, maybe here at Thornydale Family Church. Now, I don't see any evidence here that they had membership roles. I don't think they had a computerized database that had all their members on it or anything like that. But we do know that they had members who were committed to that local body because they were serving there. So we know they'd made a commitment. And maybe today Jesus is leading you to make a commitment to join Thornydale Family Church. Maybe you've been coming here for a long time. And you're welcome to keep coming as long as you want. But at some point, we want to encourage you to take that next step and actually become a member. The next step on the, in the process is that of grow. And I just got to tell you here, there's, there's no possible way for me to list all the things that you can do to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. But here are a few that kind of came to mind as I was reading this passage. Number one is you have to be reading the Bible. You have to do that. That's why it keeps talking in here about the Word of God. Everything they did was built around the Word of God. For them, that was mostly the Old Testament Scripture, since this was probably the first New Testament Scripture that's written. And I'm, I'm so grateful for so many of you that have been joining us on our, our quarterly Bible reading plan. It's exciting to see the things that you're sharing, to see that you're reading, and I, I pray that God is using that in your life. If you're not already part of that, just join us right where we are now. You don't have to go back and catch up. You can join in right where we are. And if that doesn't work for you, that's okay. Just make sure that you have a plan, that you're reading all the Scripture, that you're not just cherry-picking some favorite verses here and there. It's important to be reading the Bible. Second thing is to attend regularly, and thank you for doing that. I can assure you that if you're a regular attender here, you're going to hear God's Word preached. And Ryan and I are going to do the very best we can to make sure that that's done in a way that it's applicable to your lives and to leave you some practical applications. And so if you attend regularly, I think you will grow in your relationship with Jesus. Get involved in a Bible study. We have several of them going on right now here 
and uh, find one that works for you. If, if we don't have one that works for you, that's okay. Get three or four of you together in your home and just open the Bible and study it. I can tell you for sure that those people here in this church who are involved in a Bible study where they're gathering regularly with other people know the value of spending time in God's Word in a group and not just individually. It's important to study it on your own, but there's some benefits that come from being in a group and looking at God's Word together. And then finally, and this is really the the key, is that you make application of what you're learning. I mean, if all you do is get more information, you're probably wasting your time. You need to actually apply it. And there could be a lot of other ways, but those are just a few of the ways that you could grow in your relationship with Jesus. Next step in the process is to serve. And uh, thank you to many of you who are already doing that. There's really two aspects, I think, to this idea of serving. One is to serve within the body of Christ, within this local church here at Thornydale Family Church. And thank you to many of you who are already doing that. But we could use a lot more people that would be willing to serve too. And if you don't know where you want to serve, I'd encourage you just start somewhere. Let God begin to show you where, where He's gifted you and how He can use you within the body. And if you need some help getting plugged in there, let us know. We'll, we'll find you a spot. But to be real honest, most of the, the service that goes in with the body of Christ, it happens outside the walls of this church. It happens out in the community. Because all of you guys, you all have a chance to serve other people I'll never meet. Well, that's your friends, your co-workers, your neighbors, your family. And so you just need to be serving them. And every time you serve someone else in the name of Jesus, Jesus says you're actually serving Him. So find a place. Look for opportunities to serve other people. And then finally, and this is the one that, that we've really been talking about today, is the idea of sharing. Sharing with your lips. Sharing with your lives. Sometimes I think we've made this way more complicated than it needs to be. And we've scared people off. Some people, I think, think that you've got to have a seminary degree before you can go share the gospel with someone else. But as we've talked about several times recently, it just means sharing with your lives, sharing with your lips what Jesus has done for you. Living in a way that your walk with Jesus is consistent with the things that you're telling other people. And if that scares you, here's what I want to encourage you to do, to pray. Pray for those people in your life that are not yet disciples of Jesus Christ. You need to be doing that because, as we talked about earlier, they will never become a disciple of Jesus until God draws them. So pray that God would draw them. Pray that their hearts would be open when that happens, that they would make that decision to follow Jesus. Pray that when you have opportunities, God will give you the right words and that He'll give you boldness. I think those are some prayers that God would delight in answering. So here's the question for all of you this morning to think about what's the next step that God wants you to take today? Again, I want to encourage you to write that down. I want to encourage you to let us know what that step is so we can help you. Just a moment as we close the message, I'll let you know how you can do that. So we've seen this morning that churches make an impact for the gospel when the testimony of their lips is backed up by the testimony of their lives. I don't know when Jesus is coming back. None of you do either. 
But I can tell you this for sure. There's two things I do know. Number one, I know he is coming back. I am confident. With all my being, I am confident that one day Jesus is coming back. The second thing I know is that we're about 2,000 years closer to that than the day that Paul wrote this letter. And that means that there ought to be this great sense of urgency about sharing the gospel with people around us. Because the eternal destiny of your friends and your family and your co-workers and your neighbors and the people in this community are all at stake. Let's pray. Boy, Father, I want us to be a church like the church there at Thessalonica. As we're going to see throughout this letter, they were far from perfect. But boy, I'm so glad that of the kind of testimony and the impact that they had there in that entire region. And Father, I want us to be that kind of church too, a church that, that has a tremendous impact here in the Tucson area. And Father, I know what that will take is people who are testifying to Jesus with their lips and their lives. So my earnest prayer this morning is that we would have a sense of urgency. And also, Father, that you would help us to each take whatever step it is that we need to take in order to be about the business of taking your kingdom and bringing it near to others. Father, I'm convinced everybody joining us today could do something to take a next step to walk closer with Jesus, and I pray that they would make the commitment to do that today. And I ask it in his name. Amen.